First Corinthians chapter 10. And this morning, I just want to start by speaking on God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. No matter, no matter, no matter where you are, no matter what you are dealing with, no matter what you are faced, no matter what you are seeing, I want you to live here this morning, rest assured that God's grace is sufficient. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, or were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, or ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual drink, oh no, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Let's jump to uh, verse 10. Verse 10. Verse 10. It says, No complain. As some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Another translation says, Not to murmur. As some of them murmured and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, if you know anything about this group of people Paul just described, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, I believe in verse uh, 23, God made it clear to them that he brought them out in order to bring them in. He brought them out of where? Out of Egypt in order to bring them in to the promised land. What I want us to know this morning as we go over this message is that the beginning of a thing is very excitable. The end of a thing is very excitable. But the in-between is the most deadly and the most dangerous place. God told them, I'm bringing you out. It was wonderful. They loved it. But in-between, from the time he said it to them, and until when he finally got there, all kinds of things happened unto them. And unfortunately, they did not have the teaching you get it now. So they don't understand how to deal with those things. How many times, or how many of you are here, you have a word, a promise, a prophecy, a vision, a dream, something that God gave you. You know that God gave it to you. But while you are waiting for the manifestation, it's like the very life is being sucked out of you. 
And if you're not careful, the trials and the challenges and all of the happenings in the in-between almost want to convince you that what you heard or what was said or the dream or the vision is not true. And if you're not careful, if you buy into that, you can abort that very thing that God is trying to bring to pass in your life. Because that in-between is a very, very, very delicate time. We need to understand it and we need to know how to handle it. Amen? Amen. Now, Paul tells us, let's go to Philippians chapter 1. God's grace is sufficient. Philippians chapter 1. In verse 12. If anybody knows this, what we're talking about this morning, Paul does very, very well. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What? The beatings, the shipwreck, the persecution, the ridicules. Are you kidding me, Paul? Paul said, looking at it now from God's perspective, I can tell you guys that every dealing, every situation I've found myself in, everything that happened to me at the end of the day was actually working in harmony with the plan of God to advance the kingdom of God. Paul can say that because he has understanding. For me and you, with that proper understanding, we allow murmuring, complaining, griping, in the in-between to abort what God is working in your life. And you need to be very, 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 very careful about that. You need to be very, very careful about that. Now, oh, I can go so many different streams in this message. Let me look at Jacob first. Jacob. Let's go to Genesis chapter 41. Let's see Jacob. Hallelujah. Oh, no, 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 no. Please, let's, let's, let's stay with Paul for a minute. Second Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. God's grace is sufficient. This is a word for someone, someone here today. No matter how bad it looks, no matter what has been said about you, no matter how tough your situation is, if you just get the heavenly, godly perspective and not allow what you are seeing, what you are tasting, what you are feeling, if you don't allow those things to overtake you, I'm telling you, your situation has an expiration date. Yeah. It will expire. It's just a matter of time. Look at Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure, by the abundance of the revelations, 
a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, it is very, very important for us to to understand what's happening to Paul. So many things have been said by so many preachers, so many weird doctrines have been preached over this particular passage. Some people believe that Paul is talking about being sick or they said he had an eye infection of some sort and that he prayed and God said, uh, my grace is sufficient. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because it's important that I establish this because in the in-between, the things that's coming at you, that's working for you, is not sickness. It's not sickness. It's not poverty. Let's, let's get that out of the way. That thorn in the flesh here is not talking about sickness or poverty. Paul was not sick. That's not what he was asking God to fix. And God is saying to him, my grace is sufficient. No, that's not it. Now, I have to take a few more minutes to help you with this because I want you to be abundantly clear of what Paul is talking about here so you don't get your doctrine all messed up. Okay? Now, let's read verses 9 and 10. Okay, he says, uh, verse 9, he says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, that's what's throwing people off. When they read that word, infirmity, what Paul just said there, they say, oh yeah, it's sickness. Absolutely not. The Bible talks about how in Romans, the Holy Spirit helps me and you to pray. Why? Because of our infirmity. In other words, referring to our weakness in our human flesh. Not referring to, to sickness. But not only that, Paul has used this word in another passage, in Second Corinthians, I believe in chapter 10. No, chapter 11. Let's go there. Second Corinthians 11, verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, on and on and on and on. Verse 30, let me just jump there. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. So you see the context in which Paul uses infirmity. Did he mention sickness in the things we listed? No. No. Paul used that term infirmity in a context of all the things that happened to him. The beating, 
the ridicule, the persecution, the imprisonment. Those were the things that he put together and called what? Infirmity. Now, there are places where infirmity means sickness. That is true. But not in this context. The reason I'm belabeling this point is you need to recognize what your redemption paid for. Let me say that again. The reason this is important that you understand what happened to Paul is so that you can understand what your redemption paid for. So that you can appreciate the reason for why you are in a hard place that you are in right now. Paul said to Timothy, all those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall do what? Suffer persecution. Thank you. Let me say that again. Oh my God. I like this anointing in this house. Everybody's quiet. I love it. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 12. All those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So what was happening to Paul? He was being what? Persecuted. And for his persecution, he prayed and said, God, deliver me. And God said, my grace is sufficient because my redemption plan does not cover persecution. Have you ever gone to the doctor and you want to get some services? You throw out your insurance card. Bam, you put it on the table. You call the insurance company. You're trying to get an eye laser, whatever they call laser. You don't want to wear glasses again. They, they, they say, oh, your, your COVID don't have this. You're not covered. Your plan is what? It's not covered. So you cannot get the service. You need to know this. As a believer, Jesus said it. In this world, you will have what? Tribulation. It's about be of good cheer. Why? I have what? Overcome the world. So we get a little persecution. We get ridiculed. People don't like us. They say bad things about you. And, and all of a sudden, your faith goes out of the window. Your grace, you forget that God loves you. No, 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 no. That's part of the curriculum. To bring you to the expected end. You see, God gave you a dream. He gave you a vision. But you must understand, you have to go through some very, navigate some very, very difficult places. And those difficult places are part of the plan. Because you see, there are some things you need to pick up on the way that will help you in your destination. Yes, the blood of Jesus did not cover does not cover persecution. If it did, Jesus won't have to go to the cross. Because who is he said, listen, they persecuted the prophets before you. And him, your master, was persecuted. So who are you? They're used to it. It's part of life. But there are some things you need to know that will help you in that process. 
That's why God told Paul, my grace is sufficient. You can pray one time. You can pray two times. You are the great apostle. You pray three times. I heard you the first time, Paul. But you are asking me to do something that is not covered. But my grace, my enablement, my ability working in you will help you, will keep you, will make sure that even though this is that happened to you, it will not destroy you. Those Israelites that we just read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, they did not understand this. So they got to a place there's no water. Ah God, there's no water. You put us out to come and kill us. What kind of a God is this? Who chose the path for them? Was it not God? Did he not know there was not going to be water? Oh, we're used to eating all these garlics in Egypt. This wilderness. What are we going to eat? So they think God brought them there. He did not know they're going to be hungry. And yet for 40 years, not one of them was sick. Their shoes did not wear out. In 40 years, how many shoes have we bought this year? As if God does not know. No. He knows only, only too well. He knows only too well. The things he's not doing is because those things are doing something in you so they can do something for you. Huge! So, God wants you to know redemption does not cover persecution. You can take that off the prayer list. So you start focusing on things that's really, really needful. Did you get that? Good. Let's go to Jacob now. Jacob in Genesis. Ah. Are you sure you really got that? Because I can I can further really establish that oh. What's the yes? Yes, I seen establish more. Yes. You want more scripture on that? Yes. Okay, good. Good. No, seriously. It's, it's, I mean, I, I want to make sure you understand this thing very well. Let me take you to a couple of scriptures that describe to us what thorns are to help you get clarity as to when, when Paul said thorn in the flesh. Okay? Now, it is important to know, first of all, you cannot claim persecution, ridicule, or any of these afflictions if God has never spoken to you. Let, let me back up. Let me back up. Let me come back. Did you hear what I just said? Paul said that what happened to him happened because of the abundance of revelations. So if God is not speaking to you because you are not praying, and you get into persecution. Don't say God. Don't say this is about God. Don't forget that. You got in there because of your carnality. We need to make that distinction. But you are in the world. You are praying. God is showing you things. Do this. Do that. You have a vision. You are carrying a vision within you about things that God wants to do in your life then understand very well that you have a target on your back. 
from the enemy. But if you are not doing anything for God, you don't have any target on your back. You are not a threat to the enemy at all. And if you get persecuted, it's because of your own carnality. Did you get that? Because Paul made it clear. It is because of the abundance of revelation. That's number one. Number two, it was Satan who instigated the thorn, not God. Do we get that very well? Okay, now let's go to some scriptures. Uh, let's go to, let's go first, Numbers 33. Because it's important for us to allow scripture to interpret scriptures. Numbers 33. Numbers 33. Hallelujah. Numbers 33. Verse 55. Numbers 33, 55. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Do you see the context in which thorns is used? These are human beings doing what? Harassing. That is not covered under the blood. More scripture. Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. It's going to get clearer. Judges chapter 2. Verse 3. Therefore, I also said, I will not drive, I would, yeah, I will not drive them out before you, but there shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Who is he referring to? People. Not sickness. Not eye infection. Sick, not, not, this, this is referring to people. Okay? He said, people will be thorns in their side. One more scripture. Joshua 23. Joshua 23. Joshua chapter 23. Verse 13. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer, will no longer drive out these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and what? Thorns in your eyes. So what are the thorns? Talk to me. People. People. And you can see this born out in Paul's life. The imprisonments. The stonings. The beatings. Who did them? Angels? People did them. People did them. Amen? Camisa, does that help? Okay. Now, let, let, me, let me share a couple of more scriptures to see for me and you why God allows these things to remain. Now, this is very, very instructive. You need to really get this. Let me find the scriptures for you. 
Um, Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. There are some things about God that I cannot teach you. Pastor Charles can't teach them to you. Paul Hagen cannot teach them to you. Who's your favorite, favorite preacher? Okay, all right, let's. You guys. Okay. <laughs> Judges chapter 3. Oh, you guys are too much. Why would God have me and you navigate a treacherous, dangerous in between? Why? I mean, if He brought us out to take us in, why the hardship along the way? Why? Judges chapter 3, verse 1. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. Okay. Verse 4. It will get clearer. And they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they will obey the commandments of the Lord which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Let me read one more and then I will explain it. Judges chapter 2 verse 21. Judges chapter 2 verse 21. I will also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died. So that through them I may test Israel whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept or not. Look at verse 23. Oh, this is very key. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out. The key word there is immediately. He drove them out ultimately. But not immediately. I don't know if you saw that. Ultimately, he drove them out. But not immediately. What did we read in Judges chapter 3? We read in Judges chapter 3, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, that God left those nations. That he might use those nations to test Israel by them. Especially those of them that had not known war. What is God saying? I want to teach you how to war. I need to teach you warfare. But there can be no warfare if there are no enemies. You will never learn warfare if you don't learn how to fight a war. So I will leave these nations because they will be your practicing team. So at the end of the day, the nations he left are to your own advantage because what God is using that to teach you, to equip you, to get you stronger. Are you getting this? 
So those nations are the thorns in the flesh. By translation, all of what that means is God allows this hardship so he can teach our fingers how to war. So he can learn how to resist those things and overcome them. And through your overcoming, what happens? You gain confidence. You feel better about yourself. You understand that the word of God works. But you will never know it works if somebody just handed everything to you on the the platter. So he he left all those nations there. Persecution, ridicule, ridicule, misunderstanding. People don't know who you are. They don't like you. All of them are there. All around you. Then he says, navigate it. Because through the exercise of your faith, you're going to have to learn how to deal with all these different things. Are you following what I'm saying to you? So from the time he gives you a vision or a dream or a word or a promise or a prophecy and the time it manifests, there's an in-between. The in-between, your redemption is taken care of. Your prosperity, your salvation, your healings, all of those things are taken care of but not your persecution. You are likely to go to work and they don't like you. It's not covered. Why? Because God wants you to exercise your warning spirit to overcome whatever that thing is. Because you need to learn and grow from that experience. Now, unfortunately, most times we don't think like that. You see, because, oh man, God help me explain this. Father, give me back. Give me language to explain what I know. Can you imagine Mary Magdalene saw Jesus placed in the tomb and they placed a rock over the tomb and three days later on the way to the tomb, you can read this in Matthew 28 and Mark 16. She said to her friend, to Mary, who is going to help us roll the stone away? She's already thinking of the trouble of the problem because she knew a stone was there. She, she, it did not occur to her that God has already done something. So she's walking to this tomb and she's going to say, man, we know, we saw them when they put the, the, uh, the stone. Two, two ladies, how, how in the heck are we going to get the stone out of, of the tomb? She's already worried about the problem that God has taken care of. Am I the only one here? Do you guys, are you guys So finally they get to the tomb. And the stone is removed. They look inside. Oh, wow. So now they move from a stone problem. Now they don't see anybody. They say, who's taking the body? So they go from one complaint to an escalated another complaint. Why? Because all of this time they are living in the now, not understanding that God has gone ahead and done something. So they said, they saw a man, they said, Gardner. Do you know who has taken this body? Where did they take it to so we can go and find it? And then Jesus speaks to them. Notice the grief they were feeling was due to their ignorance of what God has done. The moment they had knowledge and know that Jesus is alive, that grief in an instant turned to joy. So the pain that you and I go through in the in-between is due 
in the most part to ignorance. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.18 why we look not at the things that are seen. Because the things that are seen are temporal. You are seeing them today. But I'm telling you, if we stay long enough with God, trusting God, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last, if we stay long enough with him, the things which you're seeing now, they, are tem- they will change. They will change. Ignorance is what causes the grief. Not knowing what God has done. So you stay in the realm of now and you're worrying about now because you don't understand that there's something beyond now that God has already done. Oh, let, 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 yes, I cannot finish this. But let me give you a classic one. Classic Genesis 41. Oh, watch this. Genesis chapter 41. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Genesis. No, it's not for the one. Okay. Let me look at my notes here and find it. Genesis 43. I'm sorry, Genesis 42. <laughs> this is where you and I are 24-7. Do you remember that God met Jacob in Genesis 28? He saw the ladder, angels on the ladder going up and down and God made him a promise that he's going to make him a great nation. So he received a promise from God. Just as you, just like you and I receive a promise, a, a vision, a dream, a prophecy. Yeah. He received a promise from God. Okay. Verse 36. Genesis 42. And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Is that true? Hello, talk to me. Is that true? No. Absolutely no. Did Jacob know that? He didn't know that. He didn't know that. He was going on information he had received, which is false. But his emotion, his feeling, everything about Jacob in that moment was saying, Joseph is dead. His perspective was in the natural and he's saying to his sons, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? Look at this last sentence. All these things are against me. The natural. 
Joseph is gone. He's not in the house. Simon is not in the house. Now you are telling him to release Benjamin? Are you kidding me? Joseph is gone. Simon is gone. This is all I have left. All these things are against me. Do you see how a lie can look like a truth? You didn't hear what I just said. You did not hear what I just said. If you were with Jacob on that day, those things were real to him. Even though they were all what? A lie. What lie are you believing right now? What lie are you believing? Because I'm telling you, this is where we are. In the natural, Joseph is gone. You went to the house, I'm looking for Joseph. He's not here. That was a fact. But the fact that he was not there, does that mean he's, not, he's dead? You ask for Simon, he's not there. The last report we heard is in prison. What? So it looked real to Jacob. False evidence appearing real. Fear. And then he says, all these things are against me. Jacob, have you not read what David said in Psalms 148, verse 8? Fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Did you hear what I just said? Fire and hail. Who wants that? No, no, that's not what I said. Who wants it? You want you want fire and hail in your you don't want it. Clouds and snow. You want some of that? No. Stormy wind. Do you want any of that? And yet God says all of them are fulfilling his word. All of them are agents in the hand of God. To bring to pass God's will concerning your life. But they will only work for you when you have the godly perspective on it. So the things Jacob was complaining about that they are working against him unknown to him they were in fact working for him. Because the Joseph that he was lamenting was a seed in the hand of God to plant in Egypt who would become the instrument of making Jacob a great nation. Oh my God. Oh my God. You better embrace your wilderness. Stop cursing the things that God is using to bring out the best in your life. Stop cursing them. Oh. Let's move away from Jacob and I will close this in a few minutes. Let's move to Joseph himself. Chapter 37. This young lad came and had a dream. I'm in the field and 11 sheaves bowed down to my sheaf. What? We, your brothers, we're going to bow down to you? You little arrogant stuff. You better get your several here. Why did they say that? Next day, he had another dream. This time, the sun, the moon, and the stars will bow down to him. 
And the parents said, Joseph, what is what did you eat? What is your problem? But oh, look at God as a master chess player. Joseph was a beloved in the house of Jacob. And obviously from the dream God gave him, God was going to promote him, elevate him, and give him a leadership position. And there was no way this Joseph could ever receive that training nor the skill needed to come into leadership as long as he remained in the house of Jacob. Because his brothers will make sure he does not get that training. And they will not cooperate with him in the execution of that. But God has a master plan. So God had to take him out of that environment and sold him into slavery. And the first place he landed was the house of Potiphar. And what happened in the house of Potiphar? We are told that the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man. And Potiphar saw the grace of God upon his life, the favor of God upon his life, and said, you know what? Take care of my house. Be in charge and have oversight in my house. What is happening? It's learning leadership. It's learning oversight. This curriculum was written for him, but can only be executed in Egypt where his brothers would not interfere with his learning process. Look at what happened. He started in the house. He learned what he needed to learn with integrity. God said, you've learned enough at Potiphar's house. Where I'm taking you, remember? Sheep will bow down to you. The sun is out on the moon. You're going to lead nations. Therefore, I need to escalate your training. You have bachelor's degree in Potiphar's house. Now, let's take your master's degree. Now, you are falsely accused. I need the false accusation. There is no redemption for false accusation. The blood does not cover that. Because if you covered it, they would not have killed Jesus. <laughs> they had to falsely accuse him in order for him to die. So this false accusation, don't even bring that to me, Joseph, because it, it will... Do you notice Joseph never said that to anybody? He never said that to anybody. Why? It won't count. It won't count. You are, you are praying, God, they are accusing me wrongly. God, deliver me. The angels, they, they want to slap you. Say, just stop, stop that stupid prayer. Stupid nonsense. You, have you read your Bible? They are complaining about false accusation. People are dying of cancer. They are dying of heart attack. False accusation. Would you be the first one to be falsely accused? Would you be the last one? That's part of the curriculum. Just take it and say, thank you, Jesus. I will grow with it. So they falsely accused him for his promotion. Straight to prison. Straight to prison. Expressway. Straight away. Why? Because now in prison, he's not taking care of just one house. He's taking care of an entire community. Do you see his leadership portfolio growing? Because you cannot get to where you're going, Joseph, if you don't have this training. So the difficult times, those 13, 14 years of Joseph's life, 
wise preparation to be able to sit where God is placing him. There was no way to learn that in Canaan with Jacob. It's not possible. So he got to the prison. Immediately, they must have seen his resume. Potiphar's house, you took care of the household. Nothing was lost. You did a great job. You are promoted. All the prisoners are in charge. You are in charge. Greater responsibility. And in one day, in one day, he found himself before the Pharaoh. Preachers miss the whole story. Your breakthrough came in one day. No, it didn't come in one day. It took 13 years. 13 years in the making. Daily doing the consistent things. Let me say that again. Doing consistently the right things every day. Doing consistently the right things every day for 13 years. And one day, bang, the result. Just 13 years when he was here, nobody paid attention to him. Nobody. Yeah, manifestation comes in one day. Two, yes. But what I'm saying to you, there's preparation that's gone way behind that. Nobody sees. Nobody sees that. Nobody sees that. You want more? Are you ready to go home? Talk to me. Listen, I, I give you what you want. In the sense that if your capacity is, I'll let you go now. But if you're hungry and you want to get more, there's more. I know I'm back in America, so I have to, I have, I have to, I have to take, I have to, I have to be very careful with you guys. Where I just came from, five hour discipline, get started. Come on. You're hungry. Oh, you think I flew to Southeast Asia? To go teach for two hours? Are you kidding me? Day one from 7 to 10 p.m. Day two from 9.30 in the morning to 5 p.m. And I was the only teacher. Day three from 9 to 12 o'clock. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God will expand us and give us capacity to receive in Jesus' name. This little pep talk we get every Sunday, it's not enough. That's all it is. Pep talk. For the five minutes pep talk, you go home for a whole week, for six days. And many of us, this is just the truth, we don't open that Bible until we come back next Sunday. And you're wondering why you're sinking. Pep talk, we're not getting done. I'm sorry. I'll close it in five minutes for you. Because I know some of you, your, your food is on the stove. You, you, you place it on the timer. It will, it, your house will burn down if you're not closed in five minutes. So, 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 so we help you out here. Bishop, they won't let you sit down? Ah. Very quickly. Four things that will help you to survive your in-between. Let me just give you that and I'll send you home. Each one of these, guys, each one of these four things is a 40-minute message. But I'm going to give you the American pep talk. 
Number one, number one, number one. Don't pursue your own agenda while you're in the in-between. Don't pursue your own agenda. In Genesis 41, in verse 33, Joseph finally had the opportunity to come before Pharaoh. You did not hear him one time says, I was falsely imprisoned. You did not hear him say, my brothers, they are useless human beings. They sold me to slavery. He didn't do that. 99% of us here, if we were in the same situation, immediately, go and get Potiphar. That man, that's your general, is a useless man. Oh yeah. You'll be singing like a parrot. Ba, 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 ba. Ba, ba. <laughs> we will tell him about our brothers, how they've offended us. He didn't go there at all. Why? To do that would be to be pushing his own agenda. And then he did not say to Pharaoh, I'm the man for the job. No. No. He said, find, he said, find a man in whom is the Spirit of God. And place them, place that man over his ministry. He didn't push himself. He didn't push his own resume. Why? Because a man's gift will make room for him and bring him before kings. If you want to survive your in between, stop pushing your own agenda. Let God push your agenda. Number two, quickly. Number two. Even in your in between. Minister to other people's needs. Don't complain that because you've been persecuted, you've been ridiculed, and being falsely accused, you're going to shut down, you will not see the needs of other people. That's wrong. We should be aggressively sharing about how good God is with others. You see this in Joseph's life because as a man in charge of the prison, even though he himself was a prisoner, he saw the butler and the baker who were sad. And he saw, he took the time to notice them long enough and he asked them, why are you so sad this day? He had enough sensitivity to stop long enough and say, oh, you guys, I mean, what's going on? Are you all right? And minister to them. Now remember, he's a prisoner. And we are not even told how long he was imprisoned for. His sentence was life sentence. Just go there and just rot. And even in that condition, he stopped long enough to minister to others who were in need. He, to his own promotion, was right there. In ministry, he gave. Yep. Are you following me? So that's the number two thing. Number three. Oh, and this is so good. Remember God's word to you. Oh my God. If you don't hear anything else I'm saying, don't ever forget that. What is your life scripture? This is what I mean by that. What is the scripture that God has given you that turns your motto? 
all of us must have something. A passage, a scripture, a story, something that God said to you at some point in your life that just turns your model. For me, it's Galatians 1.15. I separated you from the mother's womb. Called you through my grace to reveal his son in you, Bank Akimola, that you may preach him to the nations. No matter what is happening with to me, when I record that scripture, I know that my destiny is locked in that word. Immediately I record that scripture, I read it. I, I, I don't know how to describe it. I'm ready to just fly. To just, I, 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 I'm ready to go. So I'm saying to you, what word has God given you? This year, last year, 10 years ago, it doesn't matter how long ago it is. There is power in the word of God. I mean, this book is written over 2,000 years ago and it's still getting things done today. To show you the power of it, look at Mark chapter 6. And, and, and I'm rushing now. I'm going to go into more details on this during the fast. Mark chapter 6, verse 43. Verse 43. No, verse 45. Ah, no, no, no. I know why I'm saying verse 43. Okay, verse 43. Mark 6 verse 43 and they took off 12 baskets full of fragments and of fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. So they had a miracle there. He multiplied the loaves. Many of them ate. 5,000 people. Amen? Verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. Did you see what I just said? He made them get to the boat. Why did he not just say to them, get to the boat? Why did he make them get into the boat? You know, there's a difference between telling them to get into the boat and making them get in the boat. You know why he had to make them get? Because they were still captivated by the miracles of multiplication. Oh, Jesus. Ah, ah. Where do you get this kind of anointing? You multiplied all of that. 5,000 men ate. Ha, tell us. They were ready to come there. Jesus said, ah, you've not seen anything yet. There's more on the other side. So I have to make you live this miraculous. I have to make you live what you are enjoying now. Because there's much more enjoyment waiting for you yonder. But if I don't make you, you will camp here and think this is the end. So he made them. He compelled them. Get in the boat and go to the other side. Please. Who told them to go to the other side? Jesus. Mind you, in the other passage, he told them to pack the fragments, fragments of the leftovers and put it in the boat with them. Why did he tell them to do that? Why would Jesus tell them to take leftovers? The God of the universe who called on manna from heaven and fell multitudes daily in the wilderness just multiply loaves and say, Ada, please, pack, pack what's left. Pack it, pack it. You guys, you may be hungry along the way, but you need lunch. Just pack it. Is that why he said, no! He 
wanted them to remember what those leftovers represented. I'm sending you on a journey. I am aware there will be storm along the way. I'm not telling you the whole story. I know that there will be storm along the way. By carrying this leftover with you, there will be a memorial, a reminder of the miracle you left behind. That the God that worked that miracle in your in-between, as you are joining, that same God has enough ability left, he has enough power left, that that same God who created the leftovers will be the God that will meet you in your difficulty, in your stormy time, the same God that will deliver you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Go to the other side. Oh, read the passage for yourself. They got in the boat, they were going. And the storm arose, sure enough. He, in the meantime, went to pray. To recharge. Because he knows what he had to do. Oh, I can't tell you. That's why we are fasting. That's why we are praying. You must constantly recharge before God. God does not need it, but you do. You do. He went to pray. And the Bible said, in the midst of their storm, he was just walking by. Read the passage. They said he was walking as if to pass them, which means he was not intending to even stop. He saw them struggling, crying, fearing. He was just walking by. Why, why was he doing that? Why was it that Jesus was going to walk right by the storming boat? Why? Because he was saying to himself, You got it? I gave my word. My word is enough to keep you. You guys got it. Don't worry about it. You got it. Just keep on going. You got it. That, that, that's his mindset. He has given the word. Go to the other side. Nothing can change that. There is no way they will not have arrived at the other side. No way. If, or only if he did not speak it. But once he spoke it, the wind, the storm, the water, the boat, the elements, angels, everything on assignment to make sure they arrive at the other side. Everything was working together to make sure that what comes to pass. So for him, no sweat. It was not going to stop at all. Because he's given the word. And the word was enough to keep them. Ah, but they saw them. They were crying, Master! Care us not that we perish. Oh, are you, afraid? you are afraid? He said three things to them. Number one, be of good cheer. Number two, it is I. Number three, fear not. If you master those three things, <laughs> no matter what you are faced with, if you let courage and cheer, cheering be your attitude. Cheering is saying, no matter if the devil is throwing the kitchen table at me, I'm still going to be cheering because I know what the outcome is going to be like. Second thing says, it is I. Me that spoke in the beginning. Me that's waiting for, your, for the end and the outcome. I'm still the one. I'm with you here. It is I. And then fear not speaks to the element of love. Fear not. Why would I not fear? Because perfect love casts out of fear. Last but not the least. Last but not the least. See this 
in Genesis with Jacob. Verse 43. Ay, 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 ay. Promise you, I'll let you go. Genesis 43. Verses 1 and 2. Now the famine was severe in the land. Okay? And it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that the father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. Let's jump to verse 11. Verse 11. Remember, Jacob up to this point had been very reluctant. He says, Joseph is no more. Samuel is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin with you? And all these things are working against me. That is his perspective up to this point. But now hunger is setting in. In verse 11, And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Don't miss this place. Pay attention. We're almost done. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man. A little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Then verse 13, take your brother also, and arise, go back to the man. And then they prayed for them in verse 14. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. And if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. Oh my God. What happened here? All Judah asked Jacob to release us Benjamin. Benjamin is the only one Joseph wants to see. That's the only one they were petitioning Jacob to release. But what did Jacob do? He escalated the demand. I thought the Bible said in verse 1 that there's a famine in the land. Where did they get bomb from? Where did they get spices from? Where did they get almond from? Where did they get pistachio nuts from? Where did they get those things from? There was a famine. It was a famine that they were going back to Egypt. And yet this guy had enough resources to have something. But not only that, he packaged this gift in a time of famine. Oh, you're not hearing. In a time of famine. Even though they were only asking to see Benjamin. He escalated what they were asking by getting to the posture of what we can call reckless giving. Reckless giving. There is famine in the land. People are starving to death. A little bum, a little honey, spices, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Package it, take double money, and then take Benjamin. What is God saying to us, work fan? What is he saying to us? Those of us that are listening through 
streaming or whatever. What is he saying to us? Have, can you go to a man, a man's house if you're hungry, Russian, and knock on the door, I'm hungry, and he opens the door and gives you a little balm? What would you do with it? And you say, oh, oh, sir, I cannot use the bar okay, I'm sorry, let me bring some, and bring with spices, mm-hmm. curry powder, and thymes. Mm-hmm. And you say, ah, what, what am I going to do with spices and balm? I say, okay, well, hold on one second. And he goes back and gives you pistachio nuts. Now, you're a hungry man. It's a type of family, you're hungry. And he's giving you balm, spices, myrrh, pistachio, almonds. What is Jacob saying? And I hope we get this lesson and get it right. Jacob, in essence, was saying, what I have supply of will never meet the need that's on the table. I can eat brown by itself. I cannot eat honey by itself. It's not a meal. I cannot eat my curry powder, my thyme powder, my uh, garlic. What are you going to do with that? Those things will never make a meal. Why sit on something that cannot make a meal or meet my need? I'm going to package them and seed it to connect with something larger than what I have. Yeah. It's too much. I can't be hungry and come to your house and you give me almonds. I'm grateful, but <laughs> Pastor Charles, <laughs> you... <laughs> so rather than keep all these things that will never meet my needs... You sit on fifty dollars. You sit on hundred dollars. You sit on, and your need is hundred thousand dollars. You don't understand the principle of sowing and reaping because you are trying to save your fifty dollars enough to make to become hundred thousand dollars. Where will you get that in America? Because the demand on you will make sure you never can make it happen. So God is sent to you. Package these things you have that will never meet your need and let me use it and multiply it and return it back to you. All they asked the man for was Benjamin. So he gave them Benjamin and all those things. Take them to Egypt. Because if I'm going to be a great nation, I must sow the seed for it. I don't sow for it when I've arrived. I sow to it in my time of need. You hear me, work friend? Those four things will get you out of that time in between every time. Every time. Because when you're doing those four things, you don't have time to murmur. Don't have time to complain about where you are. No. no. Folks, listen. It is my desire that this place will be filled. Having two, three services every Sunday. That would be wonderful. Yes. But do you think I'm going to focus on that? And complain about who is here, who is not here? 